about Civil War. They started talking about Reconstruction Era, stuff that I just that were just new concepts to somebody who's from the inner city who don't think nothing about history, who cares about all that old stuff. And that's when I began to say, man, these guys said that they're Christians. They're burning crosses in people's lawn. They're, they're hanging people from trees, um, symbolizing Christ hanging from a tree. They're, they're hanging people over bodies of water, symbolizing the baptism. They're hanging people over bridges, which is um, connected from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They have all these things that they're saying that they're doing under the name of Christ. That's, those aren't Christians. And that made me, I said, that's not what Christ, that's not what I remember from my childhood stories of 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 the love of Christ. And that's what actually got me closer to the Lord. So that's a very long answer. Um, hopefully that, and so that, um, coming to that point in my life, then I, because at the time I was doing, I was doing hip hop. And the hip hop that I was doing was degrading women. I was cursing, talking about smoking, drinking, clubbing, stuff like that. And so I stopped. Once I started reading books on the history, I stopped using the N-word. And then I stopped cursing. I stopped degrading women. And the, it was a perfect opportunity for Lord to change my heart. And then I crossed right on over into a new life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That, that was wow. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah, Domingo, you didn't even get into the story how you infiltrated him, but that'll be for part two. <laughs> I'm, making, I'm making that up. I'm making that up, y'all. But <laughs> what is the, I mean, that sounds like the plot, almost the plot of the uh, Black Klansman right there. Like, like how he how he infiltrated them. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, well, one one thing about Domingo is, and and this will go into his other movie. Um, you know, even though he's a young guy, he has a documentary on himself. And when I saw that movie, I said, man. This cat was filming himself, you know, Freaknik style, like '90s, you know, <laughs> with, the, with the JVC, and wow. you know, it, it's a it, and and it's a real story, and and you know, it talks about kidnapping and and, and everything. So I'm not gonna give it all away because I want people to go, you know, be able to check it out. But it will not put you to sleep because you know it's it's a real uh, a real life. But talk about even the the the, the documentary part on that because you were filming before many folks even had a camera or had access to a camera. So being in the hood, how are you so rich to get that $1,000 plus camera back in the 90s? I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly how. My my, I have to give credit to my uncle. See, my uncle, he always walked around with a camera. He always took pictures. And then I remember being in uh, the seventh grade, and they made all of us buy a camera. And so, and they were talking to us about photography. And so when they made me buy a camera, I started walking around taking pictures in the hood. Like I would go outside and take pictures of my boys. We'd be out there, you know, dribbling the basketball in the middle of the street. We'd be out there with our clothes on, you know, so I started walking around taking pictures. And then once we, once the guns and the drugs started coming into the community, I'd be walking around taking pictures because that's what was outside. And so, it it really came from my uncle, and then it came from my school making me get a camera. So then I start, I just became I just became infatuated infatuated with cameras. So I just started taking a lot of pictures. When I got to college, that's when I was 17 years old. I was an hour away from Boston. I just came out of a whole bunch of nonsense in the street, and I went to college, 
and I met some guys who were like rapping and we started rapping freestyling together and we entered this little contest just to do it and end up winning $250 in a, in a, some talent show contest for rapping. It was like, what? We just won 250. I mean, you're talking to like some 18 year old kids who just joking around in the college dorm room who just go over to an open mic and win $250. We're like, yo, this is serious. So at that point, I was like, yo, I got this credit card. Let's go to Sears and let's go get a video camera. So then we went to Sears and charged the video camera on my credit card for like $1,000. Like you said, it was like $800. I was like, it don't, let's don't care about the price. Let's go capture these memories. And so we'd be like freestyling in dorms with the camera. And then, of course, you know, we're going to be the girls. They want to get on camera. We're like, oh, okay, Ma, you want to get on camera? And so then it started turning into all kind of crazy stuff. It just And it just captured. And then I'm a pack rat. So then I just saved all the footage. It's just crazy, man. What what God has brought me through is just when I sit back and think about it, I just sometimes just want to cry. Like, wow, I feel so honored to be alive. I'm 43 years old today. I remember when I didn't wow. believe I would see the age of 20. I remember being 17 and like, yo, I'm not. I'm gonna be dead before I'm 20 years old. And now I'm 43. Like, it's just amazing, man. Because many many of us um, in a in a faster life. You know, you, it's like, man, when is my demise? Because you see so many other folks, um, you know, fall. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and you know, I always tell people an uh, in-house cat lives longer than an alley mm-hmm. cat, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and, and whatever keeps you in, inside, because I know, and this is the, the next thing, because I, I, I've I heard some of your new lyrics. And um, I know a lot of people say, oh, man, that God thing, I can't get with it, or I'm going to Islam, but they never even go to the temple. Or, you know, they say, hey, I'm a black Israelite, or I'm a Hebrew Israelite, or whatnot. And that's whatever you are. But, you know, um, I I feel that you're one step closer, possibly, to you need a relationship with God, and you need to know what that is all about, what that love is all about. And a lot of, um, you know, I, I, Jesus is the only way, so I don't get caught up in denomination. But, um, right, gotcha. but um, you know, and, and I know th- th- there'll be someone say, nah, man, you, you guys have to understand, you know, that there was no J and there was no this and that. You tap into some of this Hebrew-Israelite, you know, slander and what, you know, this new Wakanda, you know, black pride, which is a beautiful thing. But now folks read one book and it ain't even the Bible. It's not even the Holy Scriptures at all. And they, they get some wisdom. So you're tapping into that in your, your new music hard. You're hitting that harder than a lot of people that I'm, I'm listening to, on, especially on the, uh, the faith-based side of music. So talk about what's inspiring that and where you want to go with that and the message you want to put. So I was invited. Thank you, bro. I appreciate that, man, because it helps me to flush out this stuff that's been sitting in my head. And so I, w- I was I was invited to go to South Africa a year and a half ago, and I went to South Africa. And I mean, any, that's my first time being on the motherland. And we were there, and I did like six concerts, and was talking to you know, very, we were there for doing ministry, talking to the people in the villages about Jesus. And I, it felt weird at, at one point. I was like, wait a minute. Jesus was born in the continent of Africa. And I'm coming from 
North America, all of, all this, all these miles, what, 6,000 miles? I'm coming from Atlanta, Georgia, coming all the way over here to South Africa to tell y'all about Jesus, and he was born on this continent. Something's wrong. And that's when I began to just sort of dive into the, the scriptures. I began to dive into the history, start talking to my elders. I start talking to people who, you know, had those strong views as far as Hebrew Israel. I started questioning, asking questions, and it took like two years to write this song. The song is called Jesus is Real, and I've been putting excerpts out of it. Um, it's already up for pre, pre-order. If you, go to, if you go to iTunes and you put in Domingo Guyton, South Africa, you'll see the project right there. It's on pre-order, and it's going to release on February, on, uh, not February, I'm sorry. It's going to release on April 27th, 2019. Uh, which is the 25th year anniversary of uh, apartheid for South Africa. So the project's going to release on that day, and that's when everybody's going to hear the lyrics. And it's like the the song is like seven minutes long. It's just it's probably the most craziest thing I've ever written. It took me like two years to write the song alone because of all the research. And I just I did whatever I just said. I just spoke my heart and almost passed out in the in the studio after doing it. Wow. Uh. That's deep. That's deep. That's deep. That's deep. Right. So, uh, what uh, Domingo and Kel said, um, uh, my grandfather and I, we like, we always chop it up. And though he says it in jest, I mean, there's a, a lot of oomph behind it. So you better find God before God finds you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right. Straight to the chest. From, from there, yeah. No. Well, and I want to be a little more controversial. And I didn't mean to cut you. <laughs> no, no, go. I want to be a little more. What are you, what exactly are you, I mean, and I love how you said, you know, how we're coming to the continent to tell them something that you would think they, they'd they already know, and, and that's deep, and that's a conversation. But I'm hearing some lyrics in there that you, it's like, there needs to be like a sit down with, you know, and it may be only a certain fraction that with the Hebrew Israelites, but that you're hearing stuff that you don't like. And I'm saying that because I'm hearing stuff from certain fractions like come on dude you really can't believe that we have no connection to africa <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and, and so so is there anything particular that you are trying to 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 flush out of that that teaching or a certain sect of that teaching yeah. you know in there's your in your lyrics there's a few first of all when you're talking to as i and put it this way as you're talking to um a lot of evangelicals who have grown up and and because of this country and the way race has played out um in a lot of ways um they have been trained and when you, i mean pretty much if you google jesus right now you google jesus you're going to see all these white pictures of people who look like michelangelo's cousin or uncle or all these other mm-hmm. people and that's pretty much who people have been conditioned to see Jesus as for centuries. And if you Google that, you'll see those images. And that, I think a lot of, you know, when you talk about white supremacy or white privilege, a lot of that comes from Christians who have been ingrained into believing that this is who our God and Savior is. And it's like, wow. Like, if you look at, you know, some people say, oh, no, he wasn't, um, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, that's in the Middle East. Like, what continent is Middle East on? Let's mm. be real. And, where, and, if, and if, you know what I'm saying? And if, 
and now we're getting in, oh the Arabian Peninsula. I mean, now we're getting into Samantha. Now, now we're getting into you know, and then I I had put in there. I had said I, for the, the the lyrics said some say that they are from the Middle East, but that's a 19th century term, just to say the least. Bethlehem, Jerusalem, and Africa no more. That's like calling Texas a state before 1844. It's not possible. <laughs> Utah, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, some of Wyoming, Colorado were all Mexico. And this Ooh. is before the war in 1848. So, like, let's let's be real. Like, Ooh. you want to say Mexico? Like, all of that. Cali, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, all of that was Mexico. But right. now we right. have a border. You got a president talking about putting a wall up. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, let's... So and that's like, wait a minute. If you if you read the scriptures, when King Herod was King Herod heard about Jesus, he was like, "Yo, we're gonna kill all the boys in Bethlehem." So basically, his Jesus' parents they fled to Egypt. They didn't get on a plane. They didn't get on a boat. They walked. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they walked right. to Egypt. So come on, man. Let's let's be real. And so that's sort of where um I'm. That's one piece. And then another piece that I'm really talking about is this whole translation of the Egyptian mythology and saying that, you know, oh, the, the, the Hebrew alphabet, there's no J. I'm like, whatever. It's a translation. We say Y to J. But if you want to re- get real deep about it, Gerald Massey, Ernest Budge, and Sam Birch, they're all white Egyptologists that started to discredit the church. So no, Horace ain't Jesus. There's no comparison. And I said, I'm with Frederick Douglass. The Christianity of Christ I love and make it a point to live out in my life. But the Christianity of this land is by far the most widest of the two, like the Klan Klux Klan and the Holy Ghost. Those are two different ghosts. The Ku Klux Klan and the Holy Ghost. That's how wide the separation of Christianity is in our land due to racism. Right. Right. How can we believe in something so similar and so close, but have such a wide ranging, I guess, way of expressing our beliefs? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 and that's what, I, that's what I was trying to, trying to get to. Cause it, it just, it sounded like it, you, you, you had a real message in that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it's not to, you know, we don't want to beef with anybody, but it's just so much <laughs> mess going on outside of even the presidency. Um, you know, just in our own own community, but um, you know, being a citizen of the world, I, and when you travel, you know, if people travel, this this this, this racism could die because even um, calling you know something on the the white supremacy, I don't feel any man is supreme to me, um, and but also with with traveling, you know, the whole world is in America. And America has its own problems. When you go anywhere else, you're just a, an American, you know, just another crazy American uh, <laughs> right. traveling expat, whatever. And there'll be some of the whitest places in the world where, um, you know, you'll be welcome, whether it's the church or the home. So I just, you know, I, I just I just love to kill all that nonsense because a lot of that nonsense comes from people who haven't been able to experience anything outside of their comfort zone. And America is definitely a comfort zone. The only place you can spend, you know, half a million dollars and live in a house that you might never pay off and get a car the same year and a couch and a TV, you know, because <laughs> Rent-A-Center will work with any budget. But, um, <laughs> but, but, 
But yeah, that, 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 that's beautiful. And when people are going to ask, oh, how does this relate to business? Man, he, he just gave you the business. It doesn't, right. it, to, to make, to make a million or a billion dollars, you know, doesn't mean anything if your, um, your soul isn't taken care of, you know, because then you don't know how to treat people. And Domingo, I mean, I don't want to tap all the way in his business, but when I said real estate, I mean, the man, he says he lives in Atlanta. But if he wanted to live back in Massachusetts, he could pick which house he'd want to be in. Um, right. And yeah. I'm sorry. I'm Just to speak on that, I'm praying hard. In two weeks, I would have my wife and I would have sold the last piece of property we own in Massachusetts. So it's oh, supposed to God. it's supposed to close in two weeks. So I'm okay. praying that all goes well, and I actually will be officially owning no property in mass in in two weeks so that's what we're praying for now so you can pray okay. for us on that <laughs> okay right. we'll, we'll, we'll definitely throw that throw that one up um yeah now what then if you don't mind what what area of massachusetts was were was your property in because uh you know i'm a i'm a mass native so oh awesome so we owned a house in framingham and okay. then we owned two condos in Worcester and then we owned another house in Worcester oh. and so we sold we sold both houses the one in Framingham one in Worcester and then we sold the condo and now we got the last condo which actually I I grabbed that in February of 2002 so I've had that for 17 years oh, wow. and that was my first piece of property I mean you're talking about 26 year old who used to be having all these cars with these rims and all this nonsense, man. I was living, that's right around that time when I started reading the books, that's when I shifted my whole layout. And it was like, I'm 26 years old. I'm reading books about slavery. I got rid of that $22,000 vehicle. I grabbed this $500 beater, which was mm. the best vehicle I ever bought. I bought this condo for $57,000. My mortgage was like 460. I was mm. like on top of the hill. And I was, it was, I was at a level that was just, immaculate at the right. time as a 26 year old kid from the hood you know and now i'm like living in my own joint and it was it was just it, oh I, what i learned in that process was so just it was just crazy yeah so it sounds like we're gonna, we're gonna have to have you uh come back and we might have to dive straight into real estate business and, and mindset um especially you know uh Cause I feel like often now you look at the younger generation and they're, they're not doing what you did at 26. And now that you can look back and you see your investments paying dividends now, it's, it's kind of like that, that good, uh, good correlation there to be like, Hey, do this now. So that way, when you get to where I'm at, this is what it looks like. Um, so yeah, yeah. I did. And I've made some, I made some, some bad mistakes on the way again. So I would love to come back, man, and just yes. come back in. Let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about what I took some challenges and and, and took some losses. And right. so it's it's all been it's been it's, it's again I what I would give for the for the for the amount of knowledge that I gained on right. the way. My goodness. So I think this is a good place to stop our dialogue for this episode and allow you, the listeners, to join the conversation and keep the dialogue going with us online. You can do so by visiting our social media at Facebook, Diversified Game Podcast, 
on Instagram and Twitter, Game Diversified. Online, diversifiedgames.com. In your life with the people around you and or join our Patreon and get some nice perks for being involved. If you found a nugget and are like today's episode, you might as well leave a review. And if you leave a review, you might as well share it. If you share it, you might as well subscribe. And as always, thanks for your support. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifiedgame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content. Hey, it's Kellen. Tyson here. And of course, AL. And today we have a very special guest, Domingo Guyton. This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified. Diversified. Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kellen. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. Tyson. When you're going against the odds, you've got to be creative. You've got to innovate. You've got to stand out. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So let the game begin. He has so many titles. We're going to let him even talk about everything that he has in the past and the current because Domingo Guyton has been a rapper. He has been a professor, real estate mogul. People don't, a lot of people don't know that. International traveler and, of course, a film director um, being the first film that I saw from him yesterday, today, and forever, which was a great film, is a great film, a timeless piece you can still watch to this day and get um, fed spiritually. It's not one of the Hollywood films that go off and make, you know, monsters out of biblical times but domingo welcome and how are you doing uh brother kellen i'm well man thank you so much for the invite man it's just awesome to be here with you brother all right thank you thank you we appreciate it yeah yeah and 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 anytime man talented business people you know um i i I told you domingo i I watch your life and say oh that's how it's gonna be when i grow up you know (laughs) being 15 years years old you know right now currently um you know i i just got some some growing to do but um but yeah brother tell us i mean i see new music i know movies stay passionate what is going on with you talk to us hey brother well i'm What's going on with me has been, I've been on this 12-year journey uh, putting together this modern-day film about a modern-day Jesus walking around inside the inner city. And we we worked on the film in 2010. We shot it, edited, put it all together, released it 2012. We got some, we got about five or six awards, film festivals in 2013, began putting the script together for the extended version. Mm-hmm. And two thousand, the end of two thousand fourteen, just finished the script up in yeah. two thousand eighteen. <laughs> wow. 
never did I believe that it would take four years to get the script better, but uh, what a journey. That's all. I mean, that's the short end of it. Um, Yeah, that's the short end of it. This is a very long story, and and I would love to keep the energy moving and going, but it's been an extensive amount of learning, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm very grateful for the process. So, I mean, 12 years, uh, four years to get the, the script right and, and adjusted and additions and subtractions, I'm sure. So in in that journey of doing all of that stuff, I mean, one, what what did you feel like you needed to change or what were you directed or uh, guided to change? And then two, I mean, what did you actually learn about having to change something that you you felt so passionate about, I mean, did you find a struggle within that being like, I really like it the way it is, but you know, I know I need to do this if I want uh, more out of it. Well, it was a, it was a process because number one, I'm a music, I'm a music guy who has snuck through the back door of the film (laughs) industry. The Lord, the Lord placed, I've been doing music now 25 years, Mm. uh, music production. And we began doing music videos uh, about 19 years ago. And then through the music videos, I got approached um, by Lest We Forget Traveling Slavery Museum out of Philadelphia. And they approached me about 12 years ago and said, hey, we love what you're doing with these music videos. We've been wanting to do a movie. Can you can you uh, shoot a movie? So in my mind, in my business mind, I'm like, all right, wait a minute. I ain't never done a movie before. But uh, if we're doing music videos and music videos are five or six minutes long, and the movie is 30 minutes, well, that's just, you know, if it's five-minute music video, that's just six music videos linked together. I'm like, yeah, we can do a movie. <laughs> so right. that was my, that was sort of how I started doing film. And lo and behold, 2007, we go to HBO Films and Martha's Vineyard, and we win Best Documentary. And it's like, right. wait a minute, maybe there's something to this film thing. So then that's when we started um working on film. And so with my script, I just went, I said, Hey, I got an idea. I paid a little $75, took a little six week class on script writing and, and wrote a script. And, and then just, we just ran, run and gun, grab the cameras, go and shot this 46 minute version of what Kellen was talking about yesterday, today, forever, YTF. And we shot that and, and we ended up getting five awards for it. And then it's like, okay, let's take this to the real, to the next level. And I had um, brought in a screenwriter who helped me, but still in that the four-year process, there were still holes in my plots. There were holes because I'm not a screenwriter. And it's not, you know, so even when I brought somebody in, we couldn't see eye to eye because I knew where I wanted to go. She's like, hey, this is structurally wrong. But I was being hard-headed, like, nah, I got a vision. Let's do it. Let's go. I just want to hurry up and get the script so I can go out here and shoot, you know, just being trying to, rush the process, I ended up bringing on two or three more screenwriters in that four-year process, and they were saying the same thing. Look, man, you got to get the structure of the story right. You know, you're just thinking like a music guy who shoots a music video, but there are certain plot points, there are certain pieces to the story that have to shift and change at times, and uh, it took four years for me to really get that. So it sounds like in that process, you uh you learn something that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of, you know, businesses learn, which is uh, structure is important. Is that, is that what I'm very, hearing? <laughs> right. Very, very, yes. 
And so, you know, obviously nothing uh, against the time frame and everything, but that that just the I guess the mindset and the the kind of hard headed side of of uh, Domingo in that situation. Did you kind of look when you when you got the the three other screenwriters coming in and saying like you know you need to focus on the structure and change things? Did you look back and say, man, how much time have I kind of wasted not taking the first advice? Or how did that how did that run through your mind? And how did you process it to not get offended and not kind of you know curl up, but actually use that to move forward? Well, I've always I've always been one who loves. I love when people are brutally honest mm-hmm. and I love when someone comes to me and says, Hey, you know what? That project really did suck. And let me tell you why. And I can sit there. I am one who can honestly sit there and, and be so grateful for the feedback and then go back into the lab and do what I got to do. So I've never been one who sort of, you know, wears my, my, my uh, attitude on my sleeve and like walk around poor me. So any, so in that process, as I was learning, I was like, man, this is this is what Sid was telling me, you know, Sadiqa. This is what she was telling me before. Like, there's structurally issues with this, and I just couldn't see it. And I had to, you know, I had as a screenwriter, I was three years old. I'm still a toddler, so I didn't, you know, I I, I had to go through that tough process. And I'm grateful because now I look back, and the story is so much more stronger. I can give people. The plot, I can I can tell people the who the main character is. I, you know, all of those intricate pieces are now in place, and the story is so much stronger now. Well, Domingo, I can think of a couple, you know, scriptures that, you know, because wise counsel is a, a thing all through pro- Proverbs, whatnot. Um, but th- that's kind of why we build this uh, we bu- we built this uh, podcast to talk about business and the ups, the downs. And so I appreciate the, the honesty that, you know, it took three experts to tell you, yo, this is how we would revamp it for the full feature. Cause I know it's serious money that, you know, he yeah. needed to raise. And, 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 and that's just, you know, that, that lets us all know, cause none of us are experts in um, everything, but um, that sometimes we try to take one success and think we'll be successful in something else. And, and medical doctors have this a big issue on this. I know you see this given your relationship with medical doctors. Um, you know, they all think they can fly a plane and run a business. But um, yeah. even they, too, they need to get some structure because you lose your whole hat no matter how much money you think you're making. But um, now that, you know, things are kind of coming together do you have an estimated time for when uh you know when um you uh will release the the project or at least start maybe even um building more you know or filming more to, to well we've i'm at the point now where i am in the fundraising mode i went live last year after the script was finalized i was able to have it copywritten send it over to the guild and make sure all of my legal stuff is together with the story I went live last year and began raising funds. Uh, I'm in search, and we we are in need of $1.5 million to pull this movie off correctly the way it needs to be, and I am very far away from that um, number. So I'm in that mode right now, raising funds. Um, When will it come out? That I do not know right now, but uh, I can tell you 
when the good Lord allows this to come out, it is going to be groundbreaking. And it's going to be groundbreaking because it's an approach to the gospel that has never been done, number one. Number two, looking at the racial climate of our country and all of the nonsense, not only the racial climate of a country, but looking at the racial climate of Christianity, this is just going to do a lot of healing and a lot of clarity in a lot of different ways. So this is going to be groundbreaking when it comes out. Okay, okay. With that in mind, obviously the fundraising and then that obviously affects the time frame. Um, is there going to be, do you see there being a need for another update to the script or anything like that to, to fit in some of the more uh, current things that are happening right now? Or yeah. do you, you, okay. Yeah, that was my um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, there is, I'm leaving room for the director to, um, there are certain aspects of the story that will not change, but there are certain lanes, and even actors, there's room for the director to do some tweaks as far as modernizing and making sure we're up with the times, and even the actors, the characters themselves, um, besides Jesus. When Jesus speaks, he mm-hmm. is quoting directly out of the Bible, New Living okay. Translations, but everything around him is in a modern context. So all everybody except Jesus has um, some flexibility to make sure that this story is told in the current context that we're in today. Gotcha. So Domingo, like um, in terms of the the inspiration of interjecting Jesus in the in the modern world, um, what was the inspiration behind that? Like, how has like your life experience led you to this point of like that aha moment? You know what? I want to make a film that's uh, that's going to touch upon uh, Christianity was going to talk to the times, but also inspire people to kind of see things from like a broader perspective that's like faith-based. That's, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I came to the Lord, basically I came to the Lord by way of the Ku Klux Klan. I was at a point in my life, and I'm an African-American male, grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, inner city, um, went through some horrific teen childhood and teen years and was able, by the grace of God, to escape out of there and to go off and go to college and try to do better for myself and then, in turn, try to do better for my community. Um, I currently live in Georgia now. Um, We're right here in Atlanta, Georgia. So that's just a little brief synopsis so you have some kind of context of who I am and where I come from. So growing up, I grew up in the hood. You know, people will always say, yo, that white man's religion, Christianity, the white man's book, you know they they've they've stolen a lot of the stories from ancient Egypt and and put them into Christianity to be the white man's religion to enslave us. That's sort of the the running the running narrative that I heard growing up and even even as a teen and as an adult um, and around inner city and that's and so once I was when I was going for my masters, I remember reading, we were studying about some, I don't remember specifically, but one of my classmates gave me the book, Black Wall Street. And I read that book in two days and was totally floored. You know, I was, I was totally oblivious of African-American history. And I began to question and wonder a lot. So I grabbed Julius Lester's To Be a Slave book. I read that. I was like, oh man, what have I been doing with my life? 
that's when the light bulb started started to go off. So in sense, I said, why do I was questioning? I said, why do some whites hate blacks so much? I don't understand this racial tension that we have. And I said, let me go look up books on the Ku Klux Klan because that's that's the group who pretty much hates blacks the most that I could think of. So I went and read books on the Klan, and it started talking. About